Hey y'all, it's your girl Charmaine Fury, aka Mixed Girl Maine, host of Militantly Mixed, Blurred Comixed, and the Bifurious Podcasts. If you listen to any of my shows, you can tell I have a lot to say on a lot of different topics. I decided to jump on the podcasting bandwagon last year, and it has absolutely changed my life for the better. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? I'm sure you have a lot to say on something, right? You might want to consider Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so that they sound great. They'll distribute your podcast for you, and you can be heard everywhere. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and any of your favorite podcatchers. You can easily make money from your podcast as well, and with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Have fun, y'all. This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media Podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. I like them both, I just can't decide Cause tonight I know I need you beside us I'm a chronic baby, call me by Korea I like them both, there's no need to decide, no We like girls, we like girls and boys, boys We like girls, we like girls and boys, boys I'm a chronic baby, not no by Korea I'm a chronic baby, call me by Hey y'all, welcome back to the Bi Furious Podcast with Charmaine Fury, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom mask making Gulf Coast Cosmos comic book co-owning Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster for Militantly Mixed in this podcasting game. I know it has been a long time. It has literally been two years since I put this show on hiatus. But the Bi Furious Podcast is a safe space LGBTQ plus show for those of us who feel marginalized from the mainstream LGBTQ plus community. I don't really know how to explain why I've taken such a long hiatus from this show because it is many, many reasons why this is the case. I want to give you sort of a brief synopsis of what's been happening over the last two years and then talk specifically about the reason why I was ready to record today, two years later from when I put the show on hiatus. In 2019, after a year of podcasting, I started to receive invitations to community colleges, universities, organizations like the Lavender Library in Sacramento, California, and PFLAG to speak on behalf of intersectionality, in particular, race, sexuality, and gender. And I started by Furious because... I was doing more work in that area and I sort of wanted to actively explore my own intersectional identity through Bifurious in a way that I didn't have time really to do on individual episodes of Militantly Mixed because I have guests on that show or Blurred Comics because my co-host on that show is not a queer person. And this was just another part of my identity that I was ready to explore. Through all of my podcasting, that is a big thing that I'm doing. 
militantly mixed while I do speak to other mixed race guests about their own identity, I am actively exploring my own mixed race identity through that podcast. With Blurred Comics, I'm chatting with a friend that I've known for 30 years about being a mixed black nerd in particular. We talk about comics, we talk about movie, we talk about entertainment and animation and all that kind of stuff. But we're also just two friends sort of rebuilding our friendship from something we kept from each other as kids, which is that we were both into comics and geeky stuff. But we grew up in a time where it wasn't cool to be a black nerd. So Bi Furious was just an extension of that. My three major aspects of my personality have to do with my mixed race exploration, my nerdy exploration, and my queer exploration. And so that's why I started the show. But in the first six episodes that I dropped, every single one came with some form of difficulty, either in tracking down guests that were willing to talk about these subjects with a person that they may not really know, talking about the issues, and then just sort of this lack of joy in doing the show because I had such incredible imposter syndrome. Really, honestly, asking myself at time to time, was I queer enough to even be doing it? Which, of course I was. <laughs> I'm a queer person. But I, I hadn't comfortably been able to, to be that way. I was always out. But because I am partnered currently or have been for the last 22 years with a male straight partner, and I've only dated a couple of women over the course of the last 20 years because I am polyamorous, I was, I was allowing the numbers to be the reason why I wasn't queer enough. And I just lost my joy. And I felt so much pressure to try to up my queer game <laughs> when trying to do that show that I just became paralyzed by it. And while I enjoyed making two, honestly, two of the six episodes that aired, I just wasn't happy. And I knew I wasn't done with it, but I knew I wasn't in the headspace to keep it going. So I put it on hiatus and legitimately thought it was only going to be a few months and I'd get back into it. But when the timelines that I created for myself came up again, I just wasn't ready. And a few other things had to happen over the course of the last two years. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's been two years um, to get me to that point. And I can talk briefly about some of it, but most of it is just internally dealing with accepting my queerness as being as big a part of my life, regardless of who my partner is, as my mixed race-ness is, also something I was born with, or as my geekery and nerdery is the primary function of my everyday <laughs> And so I've been wanting to bring the show back. There's been a few times I've been ready to bring the show back. And in those cases, didn't bring it back because of lack of time. So over the course of the last two years, I have worked full time at a day job at a private school as an HR representative and part time on nights and weekends at a comic book shop in Los Angeles. Shout out to Pulp Fiction Comics, very queer friendly space. Um, and was, was doing all of my shows, including producing Black Radical Queer for Javier Nicole, which is currently on hiatus as well. And, and in the last year, I hadn't really taken an active role in producing it. Um, she's been self-producing her show when she has time. And so there was all these circumstances of just not having enough time, trying new things. And I kept getting invited to speak on behalf of mixed raceness 
and queerness in a lot of different places. And the more I was invited to speak, the more comfortable in my skin I got and the more willing to allow myself to embrace that my queerness is just what I am. I'm just a queer person. It's not how many partners I've had of any particular genders at any particular time. And I don't know why it's taken me so long to be able to feel comfortable with that. In fact, over the last year, I have been way comfortable with that, with it and speaking out openly in many different environments. And yet, after getting the confirmation that I was coming to Colexicon, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, my self-doubt and imposter syndrome creeped back up again. So I don't know why specifically I have so much imposter syndrome when it comes to my queerness and not in my other areas, but that's what I wanted to start by Furious for to explore in the first place. And I think I just charted it a little bit too early when I really wasn't ready to explore. And now I, I am and have been actively, and I feel way better about representing myself as a queer person than I have before. And if you've listened to the other six episodes of this show from two years ago, you might notice that I'm referring to myself as a queer person. <laughs> I have an episode called The Q Word, in which I discuss my discomfort with the term queer. I talk about how I was brought up during the time when the word queer was used to hurt and harm and hunt us, and that it was even used as a justification for causing our community harm. And that while I admired the reclamation of the word, I personally was still not comfortable using it. And I would only use it in spaces in which I would talk about, say, queer cinema or something like that. Something where it was a genre versus uh, orientation or a lifestyle or, or whatever. I just wasn't there yet. And I had spoken to a number of people on that episode, including people that never made it to the episode from all different age groups that had embraced the term queer, whether older than me, my age or younger than me. And listening to what they felt about the word was a big reason why I started to think about and embrace the terminology a little bit more. It took me about another probably six months until it was becoming a part of my vocabulary. And now I don't even remember really how, how uncomfortable I was with the term. I had to go back and listen to my, the keyword episode the other day. And I just feel like I'm a different person entirely from the person that I can hear on those previous episodes. It actually has me debating whether or not I would pull those episodes. But when I really think about it, it's important to know where you've been and where you're going through leaving the historical record up. And so I have decided to do that. So in addition to all of that, last year, in August 2020, I part, well, actually well before that, and actually October 2019, I partnered with my friend Byron Kennedy, who you can hear talk on the Q word episode, to start our own comic book shop. My plan was to move to Houston in May of 2020, and we were going to launch our shop together. I flew out there in February to look at locations. We recorded a video for fund, uh, fund crowdfunding, and then I flew back home to L.A., and not just a few weeks later, boom, quarantine lockdown. And so we had to retool our business plan, and we ended up launching Gulf Coast Cosmos, which is the name of my comic book shop, online instead. 
So August 2020, we launched online, and we basically have functioned as an online comic book shop for the last year. And then my business partner, Byron, started pop-up shops back in March of 2021 of this year. And he did pop-up shops from March until July when I got here and moved here permanently, and I started participating in the pop-ups. Now, as of October 2021, we have our own location on at 2306 Stewart Street in Houston, Texas. So if you happen to be in the Houston, Texas area, holla at your main. Come on down to Gulf Coast Cosmos or check out our Instagram at GCC Comics to see all of the stuff that we do. This is a Black-owned, Blasian-owned, queer-owned comic book shop. While we do have all of the comics, you know, all the main characters that you can think of, the characters you see when you walk into our space are Black, Brown, and queer characters. We have prioritized seeing ourselves and representing the people from our communities in our shop. So even if you want your Supermans and your Captain Americas and your Batmans, you got to go through the crates for that. But if you want to just see yourself when you walk into the room with posters or with the books that are facing out on display, you're going to see predominantly black and brown characters and queer characters. And it has been an absolute dream to be able to start this. So what I have done since y'all heard from me last is I I didn't quit my day job, but I've reduced down to part time. I'm working remotely for HR for the next few months. And I, so only about 20 hours a week, I do that. And then the rest of the week, I'm at the comic book shop and I'm continuing to do the podcast. So I've still been doing Militantly Mix and Blurred Comics. And that's been my life. My whole life has changed dramatically since the last time. If you, if this is the only show of mine that you listen to, since the last time you heard from me, my life has done a complete 180. I am living the most out loud queer nerd life that, of, of my dreams. <laughs> And I have become a much happier, much more comfortable in my own skin person. And now I actively seek out opportunities to speak on behalf of queerness, to speak on behalf of marginalized queer people. And in addition to the work that I do with the mixed race community as well, and embracing the geek in all aspects of my life, be it just general nerdery or active queer nerdness or active black and brown nerdness. I'm doing all of that stuff. And so that brings us to where I'm at today. I am recording from the Tropicana Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. And before I talk about the event that I'm at, I do just want to acknowledge that the Tropicana Hotel and, of course, Las Vegas itself is occupying the native lands of the Chihuahu Eevee people and the Southern Paiute people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present, as I am just sitting in a hotel on their native lands. So what I'm up to is I am attending Calexicon, which is the first and largest multi-fandom event for LGBTQ plus women, trans and non-binary fans and creators. It is a media and entertainment conference. It is normally very huge, but this year, being the first time that they've been able to, to have an a in-person event since the pandemic began. It's a lot more scaled down and the attendance is a lot lower as well. They are observing all of the COVID safety protocols. We have to wear masks um, if we've been vaccinated. We have a wristband that shows we've been vaccinated. 
if we haven't been vaccinated for medical reasons, they also have a wristband to indicate that. Um, so it's it's been a very safe and comfortable environment, especially given that we are in a casino hotel in Vegas. The reason why I'm here is this is actually a convention I've wanted to go to for a couple of years. And in 2019 and 2020, I had started to apply to scholarships to attend some of the conferences I couldn't afford to attend. And I had gotten some badges for different conferences because of the podcast and or just because I guess I got picked. And in the case of Clexicon, I got picked. They agreed to pay for my attendance of the conference and my travel, which was amazing. I never expected to be able to win anything that would handle that. And so I was all set to attend in April of 2020. But of course, once the pandemic hit and everything shut down on March 11th in Los Angeles, I knew Clexicon was not far from shutting down as well. And so I thought, well, there goes that. But this year, they had two virtual conventions between last year and this year. And um, when I found out that they actually were delaying the in-person one until October of 2021, I sent an email to say, hey, is there any chance I can roll over my scholarship from last year to this year? And they said yes. And so I was able to attend despite having no money myself. <laughs> um to come out here to attend this conference. And so I decided to bring back the show right now specifically because I want to review this con. I also, just as a thank you to this conference, um, talk about my experience here so that those of you who didn't even know this thing existed might look into it in the future if you're interested. Because I'm only in day one and I'm having a blast. Um, even as I am antisocial and not comfortable being in crowds, I'm having a wonderful time and I can't wait to talk to y'all about it. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to review the con day by day for y'all on By Furious. And then after I get back home and things settle down a little bit again, I'll come back and give a more detailed explanation of all the stuff that's been going on over the last couple of years and then just start to kind of reconnect the show. So what I'm not going to promise is a schedule. I'm not going to say this is like it used to be a biweekly show that I did on the on Fridays. But given the way my life is currently between the part time remote job and my full time comic book shop ownership uh, and the podcasting and some of the cultural events that I'm trying to participate in in Houston as I get myself more established in that community, I'm going to just say that. I will make episodes of By Furious when I have the time, the bandwidth, and the passion related to the episode that I want to do. And I think that that is better than just not doing the show altogether. Because I think if I had actually dropped some episodes at those times when I wanted to bring the show back, but then was daunted by the idea that I was going to have to keep it back on a, a steady schedule and didn't do it, that's how I went two years between the last episode and this episode. So since I do have this thing hosted on Anchor anyway, Anchor is a, a free platform for podcast hosting. Um, I'm just going to make a show when I feel like it until my life changes. Hopefully in the next six months, I'll be able to quit my day job and just focus on the comic book shop and the podcasting and the speaking engagements. And it'll be a lot easier to know when it makes sense for me to do a show. But I'm ready to jump back in and start to re-explore the topics that I had started to explore in 2019 
but with this new mindset that doesn't feel nearly as impostery as I did two years ago. Uh, but on this episode, I just want to talk about kind of the first couple of days. Um, I flew in here yesterday. There, there wasn't a convention. Of, um, the convention didn't officially start until today. But I do want to talk about the way Colexicon handles the badge pickup, because I've never seen this at any other cons, and I think it's brilliant. And I definitely just want to talk about how safe and comfortable this convention is compared to a lot of the others that I attend. And if you do listen to me from my other shows, you know I attend any of the comic cons that I'm capable of. And I do do some public speaking and sometimes attend conferences on various topics and things like that. So I'm in conference spaces quite a bit throughout the year. And this one just feels like they really designed it with the woman, non-binary, trans, femme person in mind. It, is, it feels safe. It feels protective in, in a way that is a lot different than any other convention. Not to mention, this year in particular, it's probably the smallest it's ever been, given that we're still, you know... It's not very comfortable traveling during a pandemic, and the numbers are still higher than they ever were back when we were in lockdown. Um, that was an aspect of me attending that I was actually quite nervous about, too. I've been double masking and things like that just because even though I am vaccinated, I haven't been traveling. Be except for my move from California to, to Texas, I hadn't been traveling. And I was a little bit nervous about that. But so far, I haven't had any cause for, for feeling uncomfortable. And even the hotel itself does require masking while indoors, no matter what vaccination status you have. Um, so it's been really wonderful. But the badge pickup for Colexicon is a pool party. So I did show up towards the end of badge pickup. So there wasn't really a line. There wasn't a line when I showed up. But what there, wa what there is, is a pool party going on with the DJ and people dancing and people in the pool and out of the pool. There was a mermaid. Um, when I saw her, she's being carted around on a cart <laughs> before she ended up in the water. But as you walk into the pool area, which is here at the Tropicana, um, there was a booth for you to provide your vaccination card and get your wristband as proof of showing that you are vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, you had to send uh, like doctor's information in advance, and then you got a wristband also to indicate that um, you're doing the safety procedures, but you just aren't able to take a vaccination. So then you get that, and then you go on to the next section, which has your badges. And, you know, I was a scholarship attendee, but I just have a regular three-day badge, so there's nothing even to indicate like, hey, she couldn't afford to show up. Um, I just get to have a regular badge, which is nice. And next to that was a series of bowls with pronoun buttons in it. So I was able to get both a she, her, hers, and a they, them, theirs button to put on my lanyard so that if anybody comes up to me, they don't have to necessarily ask. They can just say, okay, she or they use these pronouns. And for those of people who have pronouns that aren't the, the typical he, she, they, there was a, like a ribbon that you could get, that you could pin to your lanyard, you could write on it what your actual pronouns are. So they really thought of ways to make it as easy as possible to not have to force it into your conversation if it's not something that you're already kind of naturally doing, but, but still be able to indicate to people what your deal is. And in my case, I do actively use she and they. 
and have for about about the same amount of time that we've been on hiatus, about uh, two years ago is when I started to actively do that, is because I have been actively confronting the things that I still consider as issues related to my gender identity and my gender fluidity. I've always felt like I was a gender fluid person, but I didn't really use that as the language for what I, my deal was. And also given the time that I was coming up, people used to say things like, I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body to indicate that I was a little bit more personality wise, masculine of center, but you know, I have a, a hyper feminine body. So my body and my personality, I never felt really gelled, really jived together. And yet I'm completely comfortable in my body, but I would like to be acknowledged as a more masculine version of a woman, I guess. And so I just didn't have the language. And, and there's times that even now I don't 100% have the language. I'm very comfortable in my body. I'm comfortable with my femininity. And yet, there's certain aspects of my femininity that I'm not 100% that comfortable in. And that's where the masculine feels a lot stronger. And I would just like to be able to be that without somebody accusing me of some sort of fakeness or forced masculinity, um, because I do come off pretty feminine. And because I do have a well, I don't think I come off feminine, I have a hyper feminine body. And that leads to people being surprised that I exhibit masculine personality traits, I guess. So I've been actively exploring that over the last couple of years. And so it's a lot easier for me to indicate that I do have something related to gender fluidity going on by adopting, utilizing the word, the terms for the they, their, them, theirs pronouns. That being said, you could literally call me any of the pronouns and none of them make me uncomfortable. And part of that may have to do with the fact that my Japanese grandmother that I grew up with would switch he and she because English was her second language. And so I grew up being called he and my brother grew up being called she. I don't know if that plays, I can't say if that plays into at all my gender identity stuff, but I can say that I've never been uncomfortable being referred to as a boy, even as I am female bodied and mostly female identified. I do feel like I am something of a hybrid, though. I just don't have all the language yet to describe what it is that I feel is part of is is really the core of my gender fluid deal, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, so it's just nice. It's just a nice thing to have available to you at a con. And this is now my third conference that I've been to that accommodates pronouns within their their um their badge access at work it fest um the podcast festival that i attended in 2019 and then geek girl con which took place in seattle so this is now my third conference that i've attended that has accommodated pronouns and i think that's really important i do hope that that is something that ends up kind of crossing over into more mainstream cons that don't focus on gender and sexuality and identity on their in their cons but want to accommodate people and people, it's easy. It's easier if we don't have to explain it every time. And if it's just there and then people can adapt accordingly. So that's just something that I really liked about the beginning stages of coming to Colexicon is that even though I didn't participate in the pool party itself, one, I'm here attending by myself. So I didn't want to just be lurking at the pool in a social situation when I had no intention of going into the pool and I really don't particularly like EDM music, which is what was playing at the time that I got here. 
and you know, I just don't like crowds. It's so weird. I, I love conventions, but I hate crowds. So I was, I was just happy to pick up my badge. I met one or two people and then I went back to, to my room to drop stuff off and, and go on a food hunt. So I ended up spending the rest of the evening. I walked around parts of the, um, the strip. I went to Excalibur and New York, New York and the ABC store. Shout out to Hawaii for that. I haven't been to one since 1996. So I was excited to see an ABC store. And then, you know, I headed back to my room because I have this ginormous bathtub, which is my favorite thing in the world. I love taking baths, but I never live in a place that has a really good bathtub. Um, So I basically soaked away the night in this big ass tub that's here and just kind of settled in. Travel days are always tough. So being able to rest on most of your travel days is pretty nice. And then today, Friday, I started to attend panels. I did end up skipping the 11 a.m. panel that I was planning on going to just because I was so tired. I hadn't really slept comfortably throughout the night. I, I sort of, I'm on a different time zone. So I slept for like six hours and then I was awake by one o'clock in the morning and then I was asleep again and then I was awake at three and then I was asleep again and then I was awake at five. It just kept happening. So I was pretty tired and I just ended up taking another nap at 11 and then waking up in time for a podcasting panel called Podcasting 201, in which it was it was mostly designed for people that were already podcasting, but just needed to get to that next level where they can start monetizing their shows or growing their audiences. And most of what they talked about in this panel is stuff that I'm already actively doing for, for Militantly Mixed and Blurred Comics. But I'm at this precipice with Militantly Mixed. My audience is huge. But my income from it is very small and it's entirely fan sponsored. And I really need to get to a place where I can live off of Militantly Mix in particular because that's the one that gets the most work out of me. And because I have to kind of work a bunch of jobs just to be able to pay to do my podcasting, I need to get it to the point that the podcast is paying for that stuff so that I don't have to work 70 jobs just to make this happen. So the panelists, the moderator was Ellie Bregeda, and the panelists was Kristen Murison, Renee Santos, and Jackie Moynihan. Ellie and Kristen were from the Les Hang Out podcast, and Renee and Jackie are on the on the cusp of creating a new show. Jackie has actually been on had her own podcast in the past, but Renee and Jackie were partnering on this new thing called Not Normal or no new normal or something like that. I forget actually, but, and it was, it was really nice. They, they talked about different things that you can do to grow your audience for free. And then they talked about a few things that you can do to grow your audience that might require a little bit of pay. And some of the most important things is, is improving your PR and improving your reach, um, in terms of, of access to press and things like that. Because that, by nature, grows your show, which makes you more appealing to uh, sponsors so you can start having commercials and things like that. So I got a lot of tips. Some of, Like I said, a lot of the stuff I was already doing, but my podcasts tend to be very niche. And so Militantly Mixed, while I do believe it is the probably the biggest audience in mixed race podcasting, given that mine is the, the longest established active podcast in mixedness, I don't have the skill set myself and I don't have the money to pay for someone with that skill set to get it to that next level where I actually have someone paying me <laughs> to do the podcast. And so just listening to the tips, they also provided some samples of physical things that you could put out 
which was really appreciative. So that was how I started my thing, which was great for me because I'm a podcaster and I'm attending a media conference that happened to have a panel on podcasting. So I was really, really got to do that and got a chance to kind of interact with everybody. The other part is Jackie Moynihan. I have seen her perform comedy. She's a comedian. I've seen her perform in L.A. before I moved. And so when I just saw her walk in, I was like, hey, I've seen that lady perform before. And then as she started talking about her comedy career, I remembered a joke of hers. So I was able to tell her, hey, I remember seeing you in L.A. So that was nice. The other part here is that everybody's really approachable, even the panelists. Like in some cases, there are really approachable panel panelists when you go to cons. And in some cases, they're really standoffish after they're done being on the panel. And here I haven't had that experience at all. Everybody wants to talk to everybody who comes up to them. And, and that's been really lovely. Another panel that I attended, which is also very personal to me, is there was a polyamory and popular media panel. And it's in my intro. It's, it's in my bio, how I introduce myself, the busiest mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, dot, dot, dot. I'm openly poly. I talk about poly on this show and on the others. I talk about poly in my life. And so even coworkers and bosses and family, everybody knows that I'm a poly person, but not everybody understands what that means. And also the way polyamory is represented in pop culture is usually pretty gross and not at all reflective of what the majority of polyamory people experience. And so getting to see about six other people that are in content creation in some form talk about um, consensual non-monogamy and how that translates into pop culture, be it in comics or in movies and things like that, and talking about when it fails and when it's good or when there's aspects that are good that have something problematic laced to it was really nice. The, the moderator for that one was Tara Madison Avery. And the panelists was Stephanie Sullivan, Sonia Saturday, and there was a couple other people, but they're not listed on the page. Uh, Evangeline, she goes by Evangeline Burley Q on Instagram, which is actually somebody that I follow already on Instagram. Uh, she was on that panel and there was a therapist from Michigan on that panel whose name escapes me. Actually, I think that might be Stephanie Sullivan. And then there was one other person... They're a writer, but their name escapes me and it's not listed here. Um, but they talked about fanfic and how polyamory um, has a lot of room in fanfic because there's a lot of relationships and different pop culture things that people get really involved in and ship, even though on screen or in the books, we may not see or hear or read the polyamory nature of those relationships. But the fanfic is where people kind of explore those um, relationships and those ideas. And I hadn't known that. I honestly, I didn't realize people were like writing polyamory fan fiction. So now I have all these lists of things that I need to check out now so that I can find a place that I can see myself in. It was a really good panel. I loved hearing people from all different walks of content creation. You know, you had comic book writers and artists, you had authors, you know, like novelists, and then a therapist and a burlesque performer. And they talked about how they work in representation of polyamory in the work that they do. And so that was really nice, too. So, again, I've now come to a con that's focusing on women, non-binary, trans, and femmes. 
And we're talking about topics that like, I've just never gotten a chance to see at other cons. I've seen a couple of podcasting panels at cons that aren't podcast cons, but they're usually geared towards like, this is their way of hyping their podcast. So they're pretending they're telling you about how to get into it or something like that. But really, it's just an opportunity for them to say like, this is my show, listen to my show. And in this case, it was actual tips and things on, on how to improve. Now, I have been to podcasting conferences, and that's a totally different thing. Those are more step-by-step. But for this to be sort of a multifaceted, multimedia conference, getting a chance to get those more instructional panels were really nice. And then, of course, just the fact that there's a polyamory anything, I was just like, that's me. Thank you. Thanks for the representation today. So I really appreciated that. And then my last panel of the day that I attended was B+, by plus representation in multimedia. And again, just a place where I got to hear other people with a very similar identity to me talk openly about this identity. So one thing that I imagine any of you that would listen to this show may relate to if you have a bisexual or B plus identity is that there are stereotypes, really nasty stereotypes associated with us that come entirely from the patriarchal male gaze and have nothing to do with the majority of us. And yet they stick so hard and they're part of all of our media, like the overly promiscuous, hypersexualized bisexual woman. I know a ton of bisexual people. I myself am a bisexual identified person. I know maybe two of hundreds probably that actually have a super hypersexualized personality. So it's not a common trait amongst the bisexual people that I know. And then there are the stereotype of the, the, the explorer. So not an actual queer person, just a straight person that's a little bit curious. Eventually they're going to go back to a heterosexual relationship, no harm, no foul. Except for big harm, big foul, because... I have been caught up in relationships like that where someone was just like they saw something in a movie that kind of turned them on. They wanted to to kind of do that themselves. And ultimately, I find out that I've just messed around with a straight person and, you know, one or two of them I've been attached to only to find out that that wasn't what that was about for them. So that one in my life has been a little bit more common, but it's not like it's every story that every bisexual person or bisexual identified person is or has experienced. So it is a harmful stereotype that exists. And then of course, for men, it's the stereotype that they're not actually bisexual, they're gay. They're just not ready to to fully cross over or they feel like it'll help their parents transition a little bit better with them if they if they have some straight relationships. And, you know, even I am guilty of in the past thinking that as well, even as a bisexual person myself. But honestly, that's just ignorance. (laughs) I mean, the second you start to meet other bisexual identified people, you start to realize that all these preconceived notions or to internalize biphobia even is at play and it's all nonsense. So the panel was all women. They all identified on the spectrum in some way, shape, or form as either lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, omnisexual, not to mention all the additional things that can be laced in there as well, demi, sapio, uh, ace, etc. They were all content creators of some form, actors 
or writers or directors or producers. And the moderator really handled questions about like certain aspects of what, what do we want in terms of by representation? What are the problems we face and how do we overcome those problems and those stereotypes? And it really just boils down to more of us need to be in the room to create to change the narrative of what bisexual people are seen as. And then towards the end, when people start to ask questions, the thing comes up that always comes up in bisexual conversations, which is, why do you choose to use the term bi and not pan? Because there is this idea that by nature of referring to yourself as bi, you're, you're automatically transphobic. And one that's born in ignorance because that is not... That's saying that's telling me that the person who's asking or accusing me of that is actually the person who has some transphobia going on, because in my case, I'm not excluding trans people from my bisexuality. My attraction is to feminine presenting people and masculine presenting people. So I am attracted to feminine, a female identified or woman identified people and male identified people. And if their bodies or their parts don't necessarily match up to their identity, that's not an exclusion for me. I don't think it makes me, I, I don't identify as pan because Pan is far more inclusive to a lot of different other identities and a lot of different sexualities. And mine is really about masculine presenting male identified people and feminine presenting male identified people. So I'm not really attracted to androgyny much, although I do like hyper femme people in masculine clothing, but as a very hyper femme presentation. Men, I do, I don't, I wouldn't say a hyper-masculine presentation or, or anything like that, but, you know, masculine presentation. So mine has a lot to do. My attraction starts with the presentation. And then in terms of the body parts, I mean, who cares what body parts are on which person? I like, I like both of those body parts. So it doesn't, doesn't matter for me. I'm comfortable identifying as bi because I do believe, of, I do think of myself as attracted to two genders and genders being a social construct, gender being an identity. The gender, I'm not tied to the biological sex in that attraction. That just comes with the territory. Are they a masculine presenting male identified person? Yes. Am I attracted to them? Great. Are they a feminine presenting female identified person? Yes. Am I attracted to them? Great. So for me, I do feel like I still have a binary in terms of my attraction. And that's why bisexual works for me. Pansexual, I'm not opposed to people referring to me as that. Although I'm clear that there is aspects of pan identity that I don't share, which is, I guess, slightly more inclusive of, of different presentations than, you know, masculine, male, fe feminine, female identified. So that came up. And of course, it was it was really um, thoughtfully answered by the panelists. But one one person brought up something that I think I'm going to want to explore on a future episode, which is and I've not seen the show that they referenced, but they referenced the show Atypical, which is on Netflix. And I guess there is a character 
that at one point dated a male and then eventually ended up dating a female. I, so again, I don't actually know the genders of the people because I didn't see the show. But the, what they described is that there was a character that started out dating a person of the opposite sex and then eventually ended up dating a person of the same sex. And the question was, should we continue to be proud of that character, love that character, ship that character if it was reversed? If the person ended up dating or started by dating a same-sex partner and then eventually ended up dating the opposite-sex partner, should we be as charitable to that relationship if it goes that direction in mass media than than if it was the way that exists in the show, which is opposite sex first and then same sex after. And, you know, that paused everybody for a minute. They, they had to think about that. And even I had to think about that. And one of the good points that came up was, yes, we probably should be rooting for that as much or, or whatever. But because we see so much representation of the bi person that eventually goes to a heterosexual or heteronormative lifestyle, we need a period of time in which we get to see the way other relationships could play out. And since we don't get enough of same-sex representation as it relates to a bisexual person character, for a period of time, we kind of need that and we need a lot of it until we can kind of switch back and forth and it not really matter. So that's something I definitely think I'm going to want to take as a takeaway to create an episode on in the future and talk to a few more people about because I thought that was really interesting. Also, today I just heard about content, queer content that I just never heard of before. And I think a lot of my access to queer programming changed a lot when I stopped having cable because I guess I don't know really how to search or maybe I just don't actively search unless it pops up on the main screen. And I'm like, hey, that's a queer thing. I want to watch that. I guess I miss a lot of stuff. So people were dropping names of shows I had never heard of and then some that I've heard of but didn't realize that they were queer oriented in any way, shape or form. And so today was learning all around. It gave me access to new content that I, and, and new creators that I don't follow, that I've never heard of, that I can start exploring. But more than anything, it was just nice to be in a room of other people who identified similarly to me and was openly talking about just being able to exist in those identities and taking a more active role in how we control our narrative. See, the thing is, we still struggle with the fact that we're not in the power position in all cases. In some cases, some of us make it, but they don't even necessarily have the power to change programming so drastically that it's all queer, (laughs) right? I mean, shit, even in queer uh, networks, there's still the mainstream type of personality behind that thing. And so they create or pass through content that is more similar to their expectation of, of queer identity, which is closer to their queer identity. So what we need to do is get into more rooms as writers, as actors, as producers, as directors, so that we can start to make our content a little bit more realistic to the other identities that are out there, but also just creating our own. I did go to film school and I did at one point want to be a filmmaker, but I found over time that if I can't find a real good collaborative team, I'm not happy in that space. And a lot of times I just haven't been 
I've been with people who declare that they want to be very collaborative, but once you get in and work together, it hasn't worked out that way. And so I've really enjoyed podcasting because whether I'm doing it solo or with other people, I have found people that are willing to be collaborative just to give you tips for your own thing, but also collaborative when you, when you are working together, if you're a guest on their show or they're a guest on your show. I have people that have become my real world friends now that I met through podcasting, that I met online first, that have now become a source of constant support, both emotional, uh, educational tips and tricks, and sometimes financially supportive friends. And it's been wonderful. And I think that Collexicon was showing that that is at play in our community. And it's probably easier to access within our community, the queer community in particular, than maybe in other spaces. And so I walked away from those three panels today entirely rejuvenated and ready to get By Furious back on track and to, to really up the game with Militantly Mixed and Blurred Comics as well, which I've been wanting to do for a long time. But something about my experience today at Colexicon really, really hit that note. Now, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today because I, I really only did the three panels and I'm going to have to start getting ready because I'm going to go to the Prince Review Show, the Prince Tribute Show. But I will release three episodes, one for each day of the conference. I'm talking about my experiences of the show. And then as things settle down and I can finally get back on track with the schedule, like I said, my goal is to to start actively working on episodes, but dropping them when I have the bandwidth to do it. So while this may not be something that you can count on on a specific day of the week every week, I am going to be actively producing episodes of Bi Furious more often than I have since I've been on hiatus for the last two years. One of the things I do want to do is an updated episode to the keyword since I've actively changed my whole comfort with that word since recording that episode. And then I'm going to explore other aspects of um, queer identity and how we're represented in media. I think that will be the way that I will really start to regain my passion and joy for doing this show. And if you're listening to this, if it drops in time, I'm definitely going to try to drop this one in time. I am going to be speaking for the Student Senate of California Community Colleges on Tuesday, October 12th on, on their IG Live. So it'll be on the SSCCC Instagram channel. I will be there at 12 p.m. Pacific time discussing National Coming Out Day. Thank you to anybody who will pick this show up <laughs> after being gone for two years. If you stayed subscribed to it, I appreciate you so much. If you're finding this for the first time, you can go back to the previous six episodes. It's not necessary. This, this show is going to be entirely different than it was when I first started it. Just know that I love us. I want us to have more representation. I want us to feel more comfortable in our skin. And I know that the world is constantly trying to beat that back. But we're a growing community. And in particular, because I am bisexual, I'll say this, although I'm not explicitly making this a bisexual show. Bisexual people are the largest population of the LGBTQ plus community. So the fact that we're underrepresented across the board or that we're incorrectly represented, I think a better way to put that is a problem and we need to step up. And for those of us who can be out, be out loud. 
for those of us who can't be out for safety reasons or whatever the, the thing is, if you have a community, even a quiet community, engage so that you're not out there in isolation. And if you're a person that just doesn't want to come out, doesn't want to feel forced to come out, as long as you have your own community, even if that community is one other person, finding someone that you can be your full ass queer ass self with, please, please do try to find that because that is how we have longevity. That's how we stay healthy and happy is being able to be ourselves fully in front of other people in some way, shape or form. And since National Coming Out Day is October 11th, be careful in how you come out and who you come out to. You can drop little hints and tests as to see how the people you want to come out would respond to finding out that someone they loved was queer. If in advance, if, if you need to do that, you can do that by sharing. Uh, this is a tip I heard today at the con sharing an article about a particular topic. This was in relation to poly, but I think it can be used across anything you need to come out for. Finding a particular article about that and then just sharing it with that person that you want to come out to and say, hey, this thing came across my, ra my radar and I read it and I thought it was interesting. What do you think about this? And whatever they say to you might indicate whether or not it'd be comfortable for you to come out to them. If you don't think you can find anybody that you can come out to, but you feel like you need to have that touchstone, holla at you, man. I am one of the people that has extend myself as being a person that you can come out to, whether you know me or not, just to be able to hear yourself say the words. I've had people come out to me in emails, on Twitter DMs, and on Instagram DMs. I've had some friends of mine in real life come out to me, although they're not out at all in the world. And I'm, I know that I'm one of one or two or three people that know. But the important thing is, is that I feel the need to extend myself to folks in our community for that. Even if it is just the comfort of you knowing that one other person in the world knows and doesn't hate you for it. So if you do feel like you need to have that person, if you don't feel like you have that person in your regular life, you can email me at byfuriouspod at gmail.com or, of course, on the Twitter or Instagram DMs, which is also byfuriouspod. And just know that this is a safe space for you to do that. If you have any ideas about topics or potential guests that you would like to suggest for the show, please feel free to email me again at byfuriouspod at gmail.com. As I start to bring this show back, um, I will start to to find and connect with people that I can have on the show. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I say this, a version of this on Militantly Mixed, which is be your mixed ass self. But it serves here too. just go out there and be your queer ass self. And I'll see you next time. Bye Furious is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by Keto Rebel. And if you like what you heard on Bye Furious, please subscribe, rate, and review on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye Furious is a fan-sponsored podcast, and if you would like to support us, please go to anchor.fm slash byfuriouspod. Peace, y'all. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.